0: Um, What you got the first week was the purpose-driven, or rather, purpose-driven childhood. The second week was purpose-driven youth. The third week was purpose-driven grown-ups. That was last week. And so you see, I could probably title this uh, purpose-driven people. Well, there is another person uh, that needs to be talked about. We don't usually refer to this as a person, but God does. He refers to the marriage relationship as one flesh. And so it is a person. And that person has a sense of purpose. And so I, I want to I answer three questions this morning about purpose-driven marriage. Okay, Three, three questions. The, the first question is, how it's, it's actually the third question, but I, I want to whet your appetite as to where we're going, because before I finish in the next few minutes, I'm actually going to talk about how marriage works, but you can't really understand how until you get to the, the other two questions, but how, how does it work? How, how does this thing work? It's the question you've asked, you, you asked after the first couple of weeks you were married, it became the theme in your mind the whole first year of marriage. And then, you know, how does this thing work? And then the the rest of your life, married, you're constantly coming back to redefining what that means. I I thought it meant this, but that doesn't seem to be working very well. So maybe it means this, and we jump in and think, maybe this is gonna fix the way we relate to one another and what it's producing and and whether I'm happy or not and, and all of the things that go into marriage. Listen, marriage, no one ever will stand up and say marriage is easy, okay? I mean, our relationship with Jesus, he said, you know, if if you will abide in me, then you can call that easy. I mean, if you learn how to flow with him, and then there's an ease in that because it's his power, his strength. But I'm talking about every day grinding it out with one another in a way that's not easy and comes up against many barriers and stumbling blocks and issues and problems and temptations and offenses and... Uh, you know, uh, and then there's the, the tragedies of life and the hard spots and the things we find it hard to forgive and, you know, things of that nature. So you're, I mean, marriage is, is just, it's, it's not easy. And so we, we need to come back to these very basic questions. How? How does this thing really work? Um, I'm going to say that the foundation of the answer to that question is realizing that it's the wrong question. It's not a wrong question, but it's not the question that will actually help you discover the how. You have to ask another question. Now, I would go straight to that question, but there is another question that we need to respond to. We actually live in a time in history where this month in June, the Supreme Court of the United States will uh, actually possibly change the very definition of marriage. And so it is a cultural conflict that is happening in our world, in our time right now, and I we can't ignore that. I, what, what I want to do is answer the question of what. Okay, first, what is marriage? And it's an important thing that I, I think I've taken for granted so over my life because I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a church that taught the scriptures, and, and so there are some basic understandings that I've been taking for granted most of my life. And here I am, at almost 60 years old, um, having to answer that question within the context of our culture. And so let's do that today, if not for your sake, for your the ability that you might be able to firmly find it in the scriptures and to establish that. But I, I'm even going to say, and just let this kind of lead you on, I'm going to say that this is not, it is a very important question. It's it's an. It has become a very important question for us, but it's not the most important question. Again, the most important question will help us answer these two questions: the how and the what. But the what? Let's let's settle that, or at least look at what the Bible says concerning the what. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse thirty-one. This is in the New Testament, so it's not Old Covenant. This is New Covenant. This is the age that we live in, and this is the Apostle Paul teaching. And you know, chapter five in Ephesians, it's a very, um, it's a very um, uh, it, that chapter. All in all, conflicts with our culture because of the definitions. The whole issue of um, a woman or a wife submitting to her husband. That word submission in our culture has become a difficult word. It's a word that that has been misused, mis. Misidentified um, has and it not only by Christians, people who take advantage of that word submission and try to force it on someone. That's that is not biblical. There's nothing in the scripture that gives us that right. That that um, that instruction in chapter five is is to the wife, not to the husband. So he's not to say you submit to me. That's not what's happened. God is saying learn how to respect and learn how to. Um, submit your life in a way that there is a there is a unity there that's flowing together in teamwork. We're gonna get there in just a minute. To, to the the beautiful thing uh, is is um, is in the it's in the after the next five minutes of my message. So I'm gonna hang on, just hang on right there. So the the um, uh, but don't misidentify what this is. Um, there's there's a relationship. Let me read it first. It's uh, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but you know what it says. Most of you do. And it's a very difficult thing to talk about in the context of our current culture. And what God has done is he has actually established something that, that needs roles. And the roles being walked out in a godly manner actually produce a really beautiful thing that both the husband and the wife will find very fulfilling and very right and God providing the strength for, okay? And so we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, Let's look at the Jesus definition. We wanna make this solid so that you see this in Mark chapter 10, verses six through eight. There's a Jesus definition for marriage. And so you'll notice that he quotes the very same. That verse in Ephesians that Paul is writing is a quote from Genesis chapter two. Jesus also is quoting that verse, but he says a couple of things around it. So let me read it to you. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Jesus said that. That's, that's out of the words of the Son of God, out of the mouth of the Son of God. He said it. He, he affirmed the original definition. He affirmed it. Paul affirmed the original definition. So we have an Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have Jesus himself in the transition clarifying what marriage is. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 this is the creator definition, okay? The creator of us was also the creator of marriage. And uh, did, you know, did you realize this? That there is no institution or culture or nation that can ever claim that they are the beginning point of this thing we call marriage. It goes all the way back to the very beginning of the first couple. Really, the issue of marriage and what it is is tied in to your belief in who God is and whether he actually created us and created this or not. Because that that's what happened. We go back to the beginning. The Lord, uh, we're going to start with, I think that's, is it verse 21? Is that what we have? Yep. And then we'll keep going. And the Lord God calls a deep sleep. I just realized that my uh, my verses here are not complete. So let me... Open to it myself, I actually have a Bible, and uh, do not just read the scripture from my notes, here we go. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib made the Lord God, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and Adam said, this, now, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. There's no question here about the wife being female. This is an obvious thing in the scripture. And they shall become one flesh. Now, let me just say something here. There's a, there's just, this is, you know, it's something that I couldn't avoid in talking about marriage because of where we are right now. It's not something that I feel like I really need to convince people of. Uh, because I feel like you're probably already there, but but this is where we are in our culture. So let me just show you this: we are a culture within a culture. We are the Kingdom of God culture within a culture. We we don't we don't decide what is and how by based on the influence of a culture. We're actually, it's supposed to be the other way around. It's supposed to be a the Kingdom culture influencing the other culture. All right. And that's influence, which means that there is a demonstration happening, that there's something going on that can be looked at and identified and lifted up and said, that thing works. See, that's so. I I would be cautious. I would just be cautious with uh, mudslinging. I'd be cautious with, you know, start when we come and start attacking certain people and saying, you're the problem. Just be careful because there's a mirror somewhere in that story. There's a place where the body of Christ themselves has to have to owe up, the people of God need to owe up to the fact that maybe we have been, we have been hiding what is real and right and true, and we've not even been focusing on it ourselves. Our whole our whole uh, our whole demonstration of marriage has not been a very good example in recent years. And so I, I think this is a place where we need to come back and say, look, wait just a minute. This is not about being angry at somebody being mad, getting, you know, this this is about the it's not. Truly, listen, listen to me carefully. Listen, now don't miss, I'm, 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 I'm an American. I know that. I know our history. I stand on it strong, but listen carefully. This is not about America. This is about the people of God. This is about the church. This is about the kingdom. I'm not an American first. I could have been born in another country. Come on now. I am, I am a kingdom person first. And so I've got to be salt and light. I've got to be the leaven and the loaf that's growing and influencing and demonstrating and loving and giving and and influencing a culture so that the culture actually sees it, wants it, hungers for it, grabs on to it. That's our job. Not to stand here and say, "You bad culture! Come on now, come on." That's that's who we are. And so let's not be identified that, yes, I'm not saying don't take a stand. I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying to compromise you. I hope you hear what I'm saying. We, we have to look in the mirror and say, wait just a minute. If they don't get it, then maybe it's because we haven't been showing it. We've not been demonstrating it. And that brings us back to the real question. Because the, the real question that, I, that takes us back to the what and lands us with the how is the question of why. Why marriage? Why? Do you realize that when this whole thing that God started a creation, there's gonna be a day that it'll transition to a new heavens, new earth, a new beginning. And when that happens, there will not be marriage. Realize that? Marriage is not eternal. So when we get to heaven, when, heaven, when, 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 then, when this whole thing starts again, after the consummation of all things, there's going to be a new season of eternity and, and nobody's going to be married, and Jesus said, or given to marriage. There won't even be the desire for it. So that tells me that God put something on the planet during this drama, this, on this drama stage, to reveal to principalities and powers and to everyone who would live to the angels of heaven and the demons of hell. He is demonstrating something and he instituted this thing called marriage. Why? Because it's not gonna last for eternity. It's here now for a reason. And the reason can be found uh, back in Ephesians chapter five. Go back to Ephesians, it's up here. Ephesians five thirty-one. This is the end of Paul's statement about husbands and wives. And here's what he says. For this, he says, Uh, I'm going to read the same verse again, and then the verse after. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What I've been just teaching you, he says, is not just about the marriage. I'm actually using the marriage relationship to reveal to you the relationship of Christ And the church, that's why I used that video. Because that's what they were doing. They were saying, look here, we know about this in, in our love relationship with others, our married life. And in our married life is this connection that really reveals how we relate to God. Did you know that God actually created the man and the woman? By the way, woman was created to complete mankind. Mankind was not complete. There was not a oneness of flesh in representation of who God was until the woman was created. So that, Carol spoke on that on Mother's Day. And I I thought it was an awesome message because the value of the woman, uh, a a man cannot be, mankind cannot be complete without the role of the woman. And it was almost like God was making a really big point, you know, hey, Adam, I've made you. You think of these animals out here, you know, and he names them all. And and he turns to the Lord and says, But Lord, I mean these are, you know, I mean, my dog may be man's best friend, but it's not really true. I'm lonely. And do you know there's a Bible in the scripture? There's a scripture in the Bible. <laughs> I spent all that money on these glasses and my mouth doesn't work. Okay, so <laughs> when uh <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm quick, too quick sometimes. So the so um uh When God God created man, he actually delayed the creation of woman to make a point. Did you know that that was in the time of perfection when there there was no sin? And yet, after every day, God said, it is good. This day is good. This day is good. And he got to the end. And on the sixth day, he created man. He said, that's good. But actually, he said that after he created woman. But just before that, he said, well, this isn't good. Here was something in perfection, before sin, in perfection, that was not good, and that was this man that I created because he's not complete. And so God created woman. And so the role of the woman is not subsidiary to man. The role of the woman is the completion of mankind, and when... Paul was talking about this, just to clarify something. When Paul was talking about this, what he was saying was, and because he said, he said, look, this is about Christ in the church. Listen, don't be afraid of the roles of a man leading his home. Okay, don't be afraid of that. I want you to think about Jesus. He's my leader. We call him Lord, you know. He's my leader. But never in all of the years of my knowing Jesus has he ever violated me. Never in all the years of knowing Jesus has he forced himself on me or has he forced his leadership on me? Are there times that I feel like he's arranging some things so I'll respond correctly? Yes, that's out of his love. But never does he force my will. Never does he say, you have to love me. I will make you love me. Well, I mean, he went to the cross, died for me. He did everything he could to make me love him, and I still have a choice whether I'll love him or not. And so, listen, here's what I found out about Jesus. After all these years, let me tell you this about Jesus. The one greatest demonstration of leadership there has ever been. He is the most humble of men that I've ever known or read about. No one is more humble than Jesus. You know what happened? Jesus never said, You will follow me. Jesus lived in such a way that people wanted to follow him. He actually did it. He did this so that leadership would be identified as something that it was the desire of the follower to follow. He didn't force it. He didn't force it. He said to his disciples first time, what is it that you want? He was tapping into the place of their desire. And he lived in such a way and served them in such a way that they wanted to be with him. Listen, I don't know anybody that wouldn't follow that. That's what it means to be a leader. That's what the Bible means by husbands taking a lead. Somebody has to lead. See, there's a, there's a need, and it's, it's just true. It, and it's, what it does is it demonstrates the way heaven and earth are structured. There is a leader. There must be a leader. This is what's missing in the world. This is what's missing in our culture. There must be a leader, and there's only one ultimate leader, and that's Jesus himself. And so he's demonstrating the need for leadership in our lives. And then He, when he, when he says to the woman, submit, well, he's not, it's not some kind of, you know, crack the whip, slavery submission. This is a place where Where we are all learning together. By the way, did you notice right before that in chapter five, right before the verse that says, Wives submit to your husbands? I mean the verse before, the the exact verse before it says, Submitting to one another. Did you see that? It's right there. For some reason, God strategically placed those two scriptures right next to each other, submitting to one another. I am a brother in Christ to Carol McLeod, she is my sister in Christ. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be married. I will still be her brother in Christ and she'll be my sister in Christ. And, and the Bible teaches us to submit to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. These are roles. My, a wife submitting to her husband is not that the husband doesn't submit to the wife. There's a submission to a greater one and that's Christ himself. And in that, we learn... That relationships are real and exciting and vibrant when we learn how to team together in a way. Yes, there's a leader. But see, let me tell you, if you're a good leader, listen, if you're not a good leader, you're going to have to tell people that you're a leader. If you're not a leader, you're going to have to force people to lead you. You're going to have to walk around with a title around your neck if you're not a good leader. But if you're a good leader, you're actually, you're actually looking for the elevation of others around you so that they step to the plate and are valuable in their own right and can lead and serve and give and not be hindered by your leadership. That's the best leadership of all. It's what Jesus did. He led, he led, he led, he gave, he gave, he served, he served, he humbled himself. Then he got out of the way and said, now you do it. Now you are my hands. You are my feet. You're going to represent me. He, that's what He did. So don't, you know, don't get cocky about this stuff. This is, the real deal is far different than what we even can identify, much less our culture. Our culture reads that scripture and says, man, that's horrible. Well, that's because they've, maybe they're not seeing it demonstrated the way it ought to be, okay? All right, so, um, the why. Here's the reason This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Here's the purpose of marriage. Here's God's purpose. Ready? God's purpose. To reveal himself. You've heard me say it. I'll keep saying it until we get it. God's purpose. He has a purpose that he's fulfilling, and his purpose is to reveal himself. That's been the problem of all ages and the answer. And the purpose of marriage is to demonstrate who God is and how we relate to him. That's the purpose of marriage. The the marriage relationship is actually a viable, visible witness of how we relate to God. And we're demonstrating it. He actually created this thing just for the drama stage and he takes it back out of the mix when we get into the eternal thing just for the drama stage to reveal to all the demons of hell and the angels of heaven and all who will ever live how to relate to God and who God is. So you see, that changes everything. I want to ask you a question. Hey guys, let me ask you a question. Instead of answering the question, You know, am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Because that, you know, that sounds so spiritual. Let me ask you another way. Lord, I want you to love me the way I love my wife. Whoa. Whoa. I want God to love me the way I love others. But in the trenches, it's got to be the way I love my wife. Because that's what marriage actually is. It's relationship taken to the trenches. That's what marriage is. It, marriage is, you know, relationships are hard enough, but re- marriage is like 24-7. Forever. And so you, you get into an issue and you can't get out of it. And God is, you know, that? well, that's, that's why I created this thing. You've got to learn how to walk through this because you're going to learn how, I, how things work. And you're gonna find out a million ways, kind of like Edison. He found found out a thousand ways that it didn't work and then he discovered electricity, okay? So that's what marriage is. We're working through things and that doesn't work. We work through it, that doesn't work. We do it this way, that doesn't work. What we're doing is we're working out the kingdom dynamic of what does work and it forces us back. And so I'm gonna close with this. Here's how to win. You want me to tell you how to win? I'm gonna tell you how to win in your marriage. Here's how you win. Number one, you stay focused on the purpose. If, you, if, if we say that the purpose of marriage is to meet each other's needs, let's say that, we, because even if we don't say it, that's what's in the back of our minds. We walk through life thinking that is the human definition of marriage, to meet each other's needs, 50-50. You give, I give, somehow we're gonna meet each other's needs, be fulfilled and be happy with it. That is the human uh, cultural definition of marriage anywhere. And yet, what does that do? Man, let me tell you, that will destroy your... your, Eventually, you're going to find out that God never intended for the other person to 100% meet your needs. Somewhere along the way, you're going to find out that that thing has a dead-end street. There's no way God ever intended that in one another, that we would fulfill the other person completely. And so, walking around and thinking in your mind, if that person would just meet my needs, the world would be a better place. That is destruction that will take your life downhill. You've got to reach higher for your purpose. The reason for marriage, the reason for marriage is that we're demonstrating something. We're revealing who God is and how we relate to him. That changes everything. Now, Carol and I have been kind of forced into this because we're both in ministry. Carol, before we were married, um, was we were at Oral Roberts University in And uh, just close your ears for a minute. And so, Carol was really something at ORU as a student. She was the first woman to speak in Vespers, which was a huge service, well known around the country. She was the first women's chaplain at ORU. And so, her gifts and talents were there even uh, before these days with Just Just Joy Ministries. And then, as we were married and began to have children, and, and I'm pastoring a church, and we're in North Carolina. And listen, Carol made a shift. She laid down her gifts and said, I'm gonna raise my children. Somebody said to me last night, what she really did was she invested her giftedness into her children during those years. That's what she did. And so she gave of herself to her children through those years and to the ministry through my role in ministry all those years. And I saw it, often I would say to her, why, I know what gifts and talents you have. Why aren't they being used? I mean, it's like a question to God. Why is this happening? We'd look at Christian television, see ministries all over America. And I'd say, I'd say, Lord, my wife, my wife, my wife. I know what's in her, my wife. And one day, you know, we realized there's that there's that demand on a pastor's wife to be a certain thing, and she was playing the piano as a, you know every pastor's wife is supposed to do, right? And so she was playing the piano. I was leading worship. The whole, you know, we were planting the church, and and uh, and so uh, one day I said, Carol, you know what? I don't think that. God's will for you is to meet the demands of people's view of a pastor's wife. I think you're actually called to and being given the privilege of as a pastor's wife to tap into your own calling and gifting and concentrate on that. And as we moved back to Buffalo and the kids were growing up, going to college, then Carol began to do that and you've seen the result of that and what it is. But what happened in those years was this, Carol spent those years laying down her giftedness and encouraging mine. And then when she came to the plate and our kids are going off to college, now's my opportunity to turn around and encourage what's happening in her life. And here's what we've discovered. That as we encourage each other's giftedness and look for the other person to be successful, oh my goodness, there's this little thing in the Bible called giving and receiving. Seed faith, some call it. Where when you give, 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 all of a sudden you realize that it comes back, it comes back, it comes back that the the true meaning of fulfillment is in the giving, not in the receiving. And so so we discover this, that the, uh, so number one, stay focused on your purpose. Number two, build teamwork atmosphere. This is a team dynamic that we're doing. Number three, work to make your teammates successful. And that becomes a win. Anybody watching the NBA playoffs second game tonight? Okay, nobody, I'm the only one. Okay. Wow, y'all are weird. Anyway, so... Uh, anybody heard of LeBron James? Okay, he's the greatest, most intimidating single you know, basketball of all time. This guy's just absolutely incredible. Just not the same as even Michael Jordan. He's not. I'm not going to say he's better, but he's just bigger and, and just more intimidating and dominating. And that guy, the other night in the first game, scored 44 points in one game, and his team lost. Now, they could have won. It was a close game. But there was a point being made all week. The other team has a really good player. He scored about half the points of of LeBron James, but they won as a team. They've got a better team. See, let me tell you. The individualism in a marriage will occasionally win, but it won't win in the end. It's the team dynamic that wins. It's when each person is focusing on the other person's giftedness, the other person's value the other person's life and lifting it up and elevating and saying, wow, great job. I see that in you. Do it again. Boy, I like that. And it's promoting it. It's doing the other thing too. It's, It's not destroying one another behind the scenes. And then what comes to the fruition of that is a team dynamic that's far more fulfilling. It's a win. It's a championship win when you play as a team. There's a little verse in Corinthians that says, Let no one seek his own, but let each one the other's well-being. What that means is, don't, just, don't seek your well-being. Seek the well-being of others. And that is really true in marriage. And that will demonstrate, that will demonstrate the relationship we have with Christ. This is the witness that Jesus is looking for in the earth. To reveal who God is. It all has to do with that. Let's stand together. Lord, I know that in not only our culture, but even in the kingdom culture, even in church world, we have twisted the actual, the pure, the original. It's been twisted. Lord, I, I pray for, a, I pray for a, uh, a coming back to really a reaching forward for the true definition of, the true purpose of, the reason that you've put us here to relate this way, the demonstration of who you are. Lord, I know there are those who are not married or have been married, but you've called all of us to relate together in such a way. The marriage is just the, it's, it's the trenches of this. But we're called to relate to one another. Jesus said, love one another and the world will know that you're my disciples. That's how they'll know it. For your love for one another. Thank you, Lord. We praise you today. Send us out with a fresh vision for marriage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day.